Welcome to Bodcast, the business of dentistry podcast, brought to you by Practice Plan. Bodcast delivers the best business advice, real life stories, and practical hints and tips to make your practice a more profitable and sustainable business. And now, here's your host. Hello, everyone. My name is Nigel Jones, and it's my great pleasure to welcome you to this latest edition of our podcast, where we'll be discussing mental health and, in particular, um, suicide, given that it's Suicide Awareness Day. And I'm very grateful to be joined by um, Professor John Gibson. Uh, Welcome, Professor. Well, thank you, Nigel. I will dispense with the title, shall we? And I'll be John from here on in. That would be great. Nice to be with you. (laughs) <laughs> that that suits me down to the ground, John. Thank you very much indeed. Um, it, it's it's very good of you to spend your time with us. I wonder if you could just introduce um, yourself and maybe give us a bit of an insight into why you have a particular interest in this topic. Yeah, thanks so much. And and as always, I thank uh, you and Practice Plan and all staff for for listening in um, and for giving me an opportunity to speak about something that is clearly very dear um, to us. Um, And just to say at the outset that talking about suicide is utterly important because the literature makes it very clear that talking about suicide never precipitates suicidal action and may actually save a life and and pull people back from from suicidal thinking. And so events like this are so important. Um, So thank you for it. Yeah. So um, on the 20th of October 2019, We lost our youngest child, our younger son, Cameron, um, to suicide. Uh, The most shocking day of my life, uh, bar none. Uh, Cameron was a young veterinary surgeon, 24 years old, uh, apparently living the dream, uh, doing the job that he'd he'd always wanted to do. Uh, Large circle of friends, great colleagues, um, very supportive practice. um, And uh, he took his life. and we have no explanation for that whatsoever. Um, and uh, it was a deeply shocking moment when two police officers came to our door and asked if I was the father and next of kin of Cameron David Roger Gibson. I said that I was. And they said, well, sir, we have some ghastly news for you. Cameron is dead and it appears that he has taken his life. There was no apparent background of psychological or psychiatric distress. Um, and Cameron loved the great outdoors. Um, he was a keen outdoor sportsman. He loved climbing uh, Scottish mountains. He loved kayaking. He loved cycling and walking. He loved wild swimming. Um, all kinds of things that uh, you would say were part of the dream life. Um, and, and so we are now nearly four years further on from that, Um, still as bemused as ever, some still as confused as ever about the reasons for his death. And I guess all I now know, having been in this strange new world of suicide for the last four years, is that suicide is a very complex issue. Um, No one thing precipitates um, a a suicide, possibly with one exception, and that is gambling. And I now know Cameron wasn't involved in gambling, but um, I know that gambling um, can be a major precipitant for suicide and the debts that are incurred because of that. Um, So if there's anyone listening at the moment who is involved in gambling and needs help, please get help. There's lots of of charity out there, lots of charities, lots of organisations to help with that. So, So please seek help. Um, So we're left with this um, strange understanding that suicide is very complex. Um, 
and it would appear that the numbers of so-called spontaneous suicides are increasing. So that's a term used where there is no obvious psychological distress in the background. Um, and uh, there is no clear evidence as to why these numbers of spontaneous suicides are increasing. So here we are, we're catapulted into this world, um, we're in it, uh, we can't turn the clock back, and so we're doing our best to, uh, to reach others who are either in suicidal distress or families, practices, communities, schools, colleges, universities, where there has been a suicide uh, to work alongside them. And, and one of the things that I discovered um, through my own suicidal crisis, eight months after Cameron died, um, was that we need a safe space and we need purpose in life. And if those two things come together, then suicide uh, can be prevented. And so we started the Canmore Trust, uh, this charity, which has reached across the whole of the uh, United Kingdom, um, and it's growing at a phenomenal rate. Um, and we work specifically uh, in those uh, two areas. So um, we seek to find safe spaces for those impacted by suicide. And we seek to work with people to find purpose, either to rebuild lives where there has been a suicide um, or where there's the hopelessness of suicidal ideation to work with individuals to find purpose um, and a way forward. Um, we've been going for just over 18 months um, and uh, we're growing at a phenomenal rate. We've, uh, by the time this uh, goes out, um, we will have trained another 16 individuals um, to, uh, to, to take part in all that we do as a, as a charity. So impacting those uh, where suicide has been an issue for them. Um, and we continue to grow and of course practice plan has been a part of that, um, not just supporting us uh, emotionally, uh, but also financially as well. And we're hugely grateful to, to Practice Plan and to the staff uh, for all their involvement and support, uh, because as you will well know, um, dentistry, medicine, vet medicine are uh, sadly um, professions that contribute to larger numbers of suicides. So um, we know that vet medicine and dentistry probably sit around four times the national average for suicide. And medicine has probably just edged ahead of that um, following COVID um, and all that COVID has brought, possibly now as high as five times the national average um, in certain sectors of the medical profession. Um, so it's good to talk. It's good to have these conversations and to challenge us in our mental well-being and mental fitness, um, but particularly around the issue of, of suicide and suicidal ideation. Yes, uh, uh, as you say, it's, a, it's a, always been an important topic and it just seems to be growing and growing in importance um, at the moment. And some of those statistics that you've just given us, John, are, are quite shocking, really. And um, I, I, I was involved in a conversation only this morning with someone who asked what I was going to be doing today. And I mentioned that uh, we would be recording this this podcast that prompted a conversation where she revealed she tried to take her own life in the past. And you, I don't think we realise just how much of an issue there is bubbling under the, the surface for an awful lot of people. And I think the work that you're doing um, is, is absolutely fantastic. And I, I would implore anyone listening to this to, to go on your website and look at things like the resources. You specifically mentioned gambling there. And I know that there's um, a section in the resources part of the website that 
focuses on gambling. Um, but I, I think I think the, the the work that you're doing is amazing, and I'm not I'm not surprised um, that it's growing so rapidly because I think people are really starting to become aware of the importance of the the topic and and as you said, the importance of of talking about about this, not not hiding it or ignoring it or denying it, but talking about it. And, and part of that is, is the raising awareness. And I, I was going to ask about how, um, yeah, a year ago you were embarking on this um, this this mammoth walk from Lands End to John O'Groats. How how did that all go? Well, it it was the best thing I ever did um, because um, it, it it helped me in in my mental fitness. Um, and um, I'm just going to stop there for a moment because I, I'm using the term mental fitness instead of mental well-being. And I, I just want to bring that challenge um, to our discussion today uh, because mental well-being has become a kind of passive entity. It's something that you kind of try to osmose, whereas mental fitness, as in physical fitness, is something that you have to work towards. And, and so I think it's much more helpful to talk about the concept of mental fitness rather than mental well-being. And we can come back and talk about that um, if, if you would like to. But part of my mental fitness as well as physical fitness um, was finding the great outdoors again. I'd always been someone who climbed mountains and walked and cycled. Um, but after Cameron died, uh, as a family, life is so difficult. Um, trying to find anything to, to go forward with is so difficult. And then I started walking again, and I found myself putting a backpack on and walking for 15, 20, 25 miles a day. And suddenly the idea struck me that I might want to walk from Land's End to Johnny Grove. It's 1,200-odd miles. Um, something I guess I'd always thought I might want to do at some point, maybe when I retired, um, but here it was, um, appearing out the mist again is something to do. Um, and so um, we set off um, last summer and with, so Isabel, my wife and I, and uh, another close couple, John and Lorraine, um, and then others joined us uh, to be part of the core team um, and travel with us. But we then encountered literally thousands of individuals who came to walk with us during the course of those 77 days. And um, something remarkable happened in front of us because the whole idea was about opening up the discussion on suicide. Um, but I hadn't quite appreciated how isolating um, suicides can be in families, communities and practices. Um, and so we suddenly saw people coming out of this place of darkness to walk with us and talk to get to, together. And we were in the Derbyshire Pennines. I think the most pivotal day for me realizing what was happening, um, I was sitting having lunch and there were three families also having lunch in, in front of me um, or around us. And I realized that uh, these families had all lost a son to suicide, average time, maybe three and a half to four years out from the suicide event. But what was pivotal was that none of these families um, had ever met another family affected by suicide. And that was just such a pivotal realization that suicide is so isolating. Um, often people run from other members of their family, they run from their communities, they run from their church groups, they, they run from religious organizations because of the guilt and the shame that seems to be inherently part of the suicide grieving process. And I heard these families sharing their experience and sharing mobile telephone numbers and talking about possibly going on holiday together. And, and I wept as I ate my sandwiches that day, realizing 
just how um, important was this work that was opening up in, in front of us. And of course, it's continued because we now have the three dads walking for the charity Papyrus. Um, and they've done a remarkable job um, encouraging the Secretary of State for Education in England to have suicide safety planning in school curricula. Um, and then we had Lens Light, um, so um, Andy and Linda uh, Eden, uh, traveling in a tractor from uh, John O'Groats to Land's End, but also taking in Westminster Parliament uh, to talk about the increased risk of suicide and mental health issues within the rural communities. Um, and they did a remarkable job on behalf of their son, Len, who died by suicide on the 1st of January, 2022. And, and so there are remarkable events now happening. Um, and uh, I would just encourage people, if you come across such events, please go and make yourself part of it. Go, go, and, go and be involved because um, you'll never regret that. And you might just learn something about conversations around saving lives, um, about opening up conversations um, in uh, in this world of increased risk of suicide. And I, I was struck um, when looking at the uh, Camel Trust website um, about this distinction or, well, link between um, postvention and prevention. The, the point you were mean, making about the families that um, felt quite isolated and you were overhearing them get together. But the, the, the more we talk about it, the, the Yes, it, it's, it, it must help them directly, but then also that must lead to prevention. Yeah, and, and just in case people who are watching in um, haven't quite understood this concept of postvention, postvention is an intervention where there has already been a suicide. And what's very clear in the literature is that today's postvention is tomorrow's prevention. Um, and uh, the statistics would suggest that if you lose um, a first degree relative, a family member, then you carry a 15% lifetime increased risk of dying by suicide. And so talking openly about that, um, also for relationships and marriages, if you lose a child to suicide, um, there is a two thirds chance that your marriage will end. Uh, by two years following the suicide event. And, and, and that's because suicide opens up unbelievable chasms and, and, and cracks in the, in the lives of individuals. And I certainly found myself in a place after Cameron died where I, I hardly had the emotional energy to look after myself, uh, never mind um, trying to look after my wife and, and, and my other kids. And, and so you fall into this strange chasm of of brokenness and emotional dysregulation, which needs input to, to pull you back out and say, we can do this, we, we can get together. And so with, with that that sort of theme of how isolated people can feel and, and how um, depleted of energy is, as you were just, just describing, what, what, what sort of things, um, what sort of advice do you think you could give on, on a day like today? What, what sort of things should we be all thinking about when it comes to suicide prevention? Well, I, I think the most important thing is identifying that opening up conversations and asking a difficult question like, are you thinking of taking your life? Are you thinking of dying by suicide is a pivotal moment in someone's life and it will never precipitate a suicide and may well pull someone back um, from suicide. The other thing is about signposting. Uh, people talk about signposting all the time, signposting to the organisations that are suicide uh, working in suicide prevention and postvention, but it isn't 
good enough just to signpost and say, there's the organization you should engage with. You actually have to physically take the person to that place of engagement and that place of safety. And it's a complaint I hear all the time in the suicide community that GPs, healthcare workers, even psychiatrists and community psychiatric nurses signpost and say, there it is. But people choose not to. It's too difficult. It's, it's too tough for them. So going with someone, dropping what you're doing that day and going with someone to a place of safety, a place of engagement is absolutely life-saving as well. I mean, that, that sounds like um, it, it, you, we have a responsibility to be more proactive when we, we have some concerns and, and some, some fears over the safety of someone rather than waiting for them to come to us to to, to seek it and uh, I, I think um, that that makes that, that makes so much sense in, in, in terms of you know I will return to the point that you were um, referring to earlier on the mental fitness point because uh, I, I can see the the relevance of that in terms of uh, your your comparison with physical fitness something that you have to, to work at when when someone's um, mental fitness is maybe um, starting to, to struggle, are, are there things that you think people should be looking out for in friends, relatives that they, they that might act as a clue? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. And, and, and families tend to know their relatives well. Um, and, and the tragedy that I hear all the time is is that relatives will say, but he was so much better just 48 hours prior to him taking his life. And it's a very common feature that people seem to be so much better. They'll go to their GP and say, I'm stopping taking the antidepressants. It's amazing. I'm feeling so much better. Um, or they use a credit card and they start buying things. Um, they enter this phase of seeming normality again. And the family goes, oh, that's amazing. Uh, we're, we're in a good place. And that's simply the prelude to the event of suicide. And so uh, we, we need to look out for that. Um, we need to look out for significant mood changes, behavioral changes, but often a preoccupation with death or dying as well will often come up in conversation um, or uh, planning for death um, or uh, making contact with friends or family that they haven't been in contact with for a long, long time as if they are um, subliminally saying cheerio to people, saying bye-bye to people. Um, so those significant mood changes can be a herald for um, suicidal planning and suicidal uh, activity. So really important to say, just wait a minute, you know, what, what's going on here? Can, I, can you help me to understand why these changes have taken place? Um, you say that you're feeling better, but um, are you really feeling better? Um, I wonder if given what you've come through, whether you might be thinking about suicide, could we open that up and have that discussion? And and really importantly, it's, it's, it's important in that question never to judge. So sometimes people will say, you're not thinking of doing something silly, are you? Um, and immediately there's judgment in the room, which will invoke a non-response from the person that you're questioning, because it, it may seem silly to you as a questioner, but it is genuinely the, a matter of life and death for the individual that you're questioning. And so not bringing judgment into the room is so important as you open up that question and that dialogue. I, I think that's such a, a powerful point that you've just made, John, because I think that, that you, you were speaking earlier on about the Camel Trust and, and the focus on creating safe spaces. Well, part of that 
that safe space is a safe environment where people feel able to open up without being judged. And I think it is beholden on us all to to think carefully about the language. It, you know, it, it, I don't think we do that enough in just day to day, let alone in sensitive situations about how how it could be interpreted and perceived. Um, so so I, I, I think that's absolutely right that um, we, we shouldn't duck the issue, but we should handle it sensitively and carefully. Um, if we want to create that safe space where people feel that they can open up. You, you mentioned that, um, uh, at the start of the conversation about um, uh, the, the, the dentistry and how um, that's four times the national average. I mean, that, that, that's obviously the, the group of um, professionals that we focus on particularly. And I, 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 I guess I'm seeing an awful lot of pressure building for a lot in the profession at the moment. So, so that's, I suppose, what I was thinking when I was talking about the fact that now more than ever, I think we've got to be prepared to, to have these kind of conversations. I know for a fact that some of my team are talking to um, some of your professional colleagues and, and they are talking about um, taking their life because that, that pressures of whether it's NHS activity, whether it's fear of GDC, whether it's just running a business. There's so many things specific to, to dentistry in addition to all the other things that, that I, I, I do feel we need to pay particular attention to, to the profession. Completely. Completely. And just, just this morning, I'm, the Canmore Trust is dealing with another suicide in dentistry. Um, you know, it's 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 horrific um, and we need to do better. We really need to do better from the regulator all the way down to health boards and trusts dealing with uh, with uh, healthcare employees. This is a tough gig um, and we really need to do better in the way that we handle our um, healthcare workers. We really, really need to. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I, I think um, on that that note, John, we'll bring the, the conversation to a close. Unless there's any sort of parting comments that you would like to make on, on this um, special day. Yeah, I, I, the comment I, I guess I'd like to make is that um, I think I'm finding more and more, although suicide is about a multiplicity of, of, of things um, impacting factors, that microaggression is becoming an increasing issue um, for healthcare workers at the, at the coalface. Um, and we've gone in a very short period of time during COVID uh, from healthcare workers being applauded on Thursday evenings through to a time when it, it would appear that we've got some of the highest levels of complaint um, against healthcare professionals that we've ever had. Um, and in addition to that, not only is there the fear of, of reporting either local complaints or to the regulator, um, there's this issue of microaggression from uh, from patients um, and um, I am hearing this more and more and more um, and, and I do think that we need a government initiative um, to re-educate um, our, uh, our, our nation about being respectful for, for not just for healthcare dentists, doctors, nurses, but for administrative staff, for physiotherapists, um, for, for, for a whole host of people and beyond that as well, shop workers, um, factory workers, bus drivers, and um, train drivers who get abuse as well. Um, we need to move away from this multiple microaggression that is so prevalent in so many of our account of encounters as human beings. And I guess move towards a place of greater kindness for each other. Um, and so this is National Suicide Prevention and Awareness Day. Um, 
and, and we've talked about how we might prevent suicide, but I wonder how we might generally prevent suicide by making the world, making our uh, environment um, a kinder place. And so here's my challenge, um, that you go away from this, uh, this discussion today and you go out of your way to be kind to someone. Uh, a, a gratuitous um, event that you go and you're in a cafe, you're having a bacon roll and a, and a sandwich and you pay for someone else's next door to you without them knowing about it. Um, do something that just would add to the communality um, of kindness um, in our planet. And who knows, we might just see a difference in well-being across the whole sphere. I, I think that's a, a fabulous note on which to end the discussion. Thank you so much, John, for your time today and your openness and your insights. It, it's such an important topic. And with people like you, um, raising awareness, being prepared to talk about it in the way that you have done over the last 20 minutes or so, you know, hopefully we'll make some some significant progress. So thank you very much indeed for your time. Thank you and thank you for allowing me to be part of it. And once again, my thanks to you and, and to your team um, for your support to the Canmore Trust. Please take a look at the website, folks, and, and be part of this movement. So grateful. Thank you very much.